Would you turn please to 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter. Last Sunday I talked about a, uh, a one message thing. <laughs> and you were right. <laughs> I couldn't do one message on it. <laughs> and it's a very interesting thing to me. We're, we're starting a new series. Well, I guess we did last week. And uh, it's not something that I would have thought to choose. And I've never taught on this like this. And so you, I'm, I'm asking you to believe with me on this. And I, as I'm looking at it, I'm seeing that the Lord was more, is more interested in some things than I was. And anyway, it'll become more obvious as we go. But uh, believe with me and let's just do it right now. Father, all of us agree together as touching this, asking you for revelation, for anointing, for utterance, for ears and hearts that can hear it, eyes and a mind that can see it and understand it. Lord, we, we don't want to just know the ideas of men or of each other. We want to hear from you. We want to see what you are, are saying. What's important to you? Everybody said out loud, Lord, reveal to me, Lord, to me. Your, will your will and your ways, your priorities and your values, what's important to you and what's not important to you. And what's most important to you. I ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you Lord. In 1 Corinthians 13. We looked at this some uh, last Sunday. And, and saw this what we call the great love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. But this actually is also. The growing up chapter. It's about growing up. And that's not a contradiction because to grow up spiritually is to grow up in love. To grow up in God is to grow up in love because God is love. Now love, you can see how important love is by how convoluted and watered down and twisted and mixed up ideas about love cover the planet. And that's the efforts of the enemy. He hates God. He's God's enemy. Then he'd have to hate love to hate God. And so you hear people calling everything in the world love that they shouldn't be calling love. And not even really realizing what real love is. And the scripture says God is love. Now in this passage he said... Uh, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Speaking with tongues of men and angels doesn't show that you are greatly developed and have grown up spiritually. <laughs> because if, if you're not doing what you're doing in love, that reveals a carnality. Though I have prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am what? Now that's a strong phrase. 
you, you prophesy a lot. And you understand and have knowledge of mysteries and revelation. And you have a lot of faith. But what? Without love, nothing. Is this true? So having a lot of knowledge doesn't make you a good person. In the world, being a so-called genius doesn't mean you're anybody somebody could live with. (laughs) Or get along with. Having a lot of knowledge doesn't make you a good person. And see, in our society... Knowledge is elevated almost above everything. But knowledge is not the most important thing. And that's the title of our series is Love Over Knowledge. Love Over Knowledge. And you see this in this passage. Though I bestow, verse 3, all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me how much? Really? I gave everything I had to feed people, and it profited me not at all. Why? Could you do that without the motive of loving the people? Yeah, you could. You could do it showing off in front of somebody else. Is that right? You can give just for a tax write-off. Right? You can give more trying to show up what somebody else gave. A competitive thing. And if you didn't do it because you love God and you love the people that you're giving to and you want to help them, then you get no benefit from it at all. No profit. Even if you gave up your body. (laughs) Do we really believe this or not? This is the Bible. Isn't it? What are we seeing? Outward acts of charity are not necessarily love. Right? And Having a bunch of knowledge and quoting scriptures and coming across spiritual is not necessarily love. You can be in this thing to try to show people how spiritual you are. And the motive is not really caring for them, helping them. If it's really caring for them and helping them, you'll do it whether anybody sees it or not. Or anybody knows about it or not. Because your motive wasn't to be seen. Or noticed. Or to impress anybody else with you and what you've done. You did it. Because of love. That's a word that's kicked around so much. It's lost its meaning with a lot of people. But how many believe in God to have it restored? The meaning of real love. Who he is. What it is. Restored to us. So that when we say it it means something means what God means. So keep going. It goes into uh, some detail now about what this love that God is, what it does, what it doesn't do. 
Love suffers long or puts up with long and is kind. Say that out loud. Love puts up with long and is kind. Say it again. Love puts up with suffers long and is kind. Say it again. Love <laughs> suffers long. What does that mean? Puts up with. Is that right? Long time. Not a short time. Long time. This already sounds like God. Is that right? Does God put up with things? For a long time. I'm telling you that you know, I've been walking with the Lord for a few years now. I just marvel the further I go at his patience. His patience is astounding. Astounding. And when your patience is done, gone, his is barely begun. Do you want to be like him? Then you got to grow in this. You can't be short-fused, short-tempered, short-patience, and be like God, and be like love. Because, you know, running out of patience after 30 minutes, blowing up, that's not thinking about them. You're not thinking about the impact your actions are having on them. You're only thinking about what you're feeling and how irritated you are. And that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Babies are oblivious that their crying is bothering somebody else. Is that right? Or that you just got dressed for church and they spit up all over you. And that that really inconvenienced you never crossed their mind. They are oblivious to it. They're not even aware. Why? Because they're babies. But after 20 years, (laughs) they should grow up and be more aware of whoever's around them. Now, you will find in this world That there are so many people that live in their own world. You got to keep your eye out for them because they will run over you. All they have in mind is what they've got going, where they need to go, what they need to do. And in their mind, it's like there's nobody else in the world except them. And nothing else is important except what they have. But that's acting like an unsaved person. I said, that's acting like a heathen. <laughs> How many heathens? We got? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise, don't raise. <laughs> Y'all going to be okay? <laughs> Say it out loud. Love suffers long and is kind. Now, um, 
there's so much here, and I've got to watch her. I'll try to preach on every verse. But go, go to the 8th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Say that loud again. Love, Love. suffers long, puts up with, long time. And while it's doing it, what else is it? Irritated. Because <laughs> how, how long you got to deal with this? Not, not, not just puts up with it. Love suffers long and has told them 500 times. <laughs> I've told you once. I've told you a hundred times. Yeah, and the more you do that, the less they hear it. The more times you tell them, and especially every time you remind them of how many times you told them, the less they hear. The less they hear. You know, the proverb says, the sweetness of the lips increases learning. If you want them to understand what you're saying, you have to say it nicely. I lost somebody right there. (laughs) Well, I, I have told them it must be a thousand times. Okay, it's not working. You should have caught on that 900 times ago. This is not working. So quit doing that. Let's do it another way. Let's do something else. And here's one of the greatest revelations you will ever hear. Let's let God deal with them. Oh, what a thought. Let's shut up about it. (laughs) And let's let God deal with them. Well, well, what if they won't listen to him? (laughs) What chance do you think you got? (laughs) If they won't listen to God? (laughs) You think you're going to make it work where God couldn't get it done? New series. Are you excited? Everybody's excited? Man, you can feel the excitement sweep across the, the group. 1 Corinthians 8. <laughs> this really is good. This is Scripture. Scripture's good. And uh, I'm already confident that we're going we're gonna to get some answers. And there have been The enemy has been able to do some things in the last few years that have severed some really good relationships and divided and division and destruction and caused a lot of problems. And uh, by the grace of God, these can be restored. You might say, well, I I don't know if they'll change or not. We're not talking about them. (laughs) (laughs) You think God's talking to people who's not even here? All this is designed for people that's not even here. Somebody say, this is for me. me. The Word of God 
is for me. First Corinthians 8. Now you'll find in the New Testament. We're going to see this really strong here in 1 Corinthians 8. Also it's in chapter 10. Also it's in Romans chapter 14. Right in the heart of the New Testament. Whole chapters given to what we're talking about now. And yet I see we haven't spent that much time on this. And yet it's a major thing to God. We'll just read this and then we'll actually... 1 Corinthians 8 and 1. Put it on the screen in the NIV, please. The NIV on this one. And I'm going to read to you maybe the whole chapter. It's only 13 verses. Now, what we see in 1 Corinthians, that first letter, the Spirit of God through Paul, to the church at Corinth, they had written to him And asked him questions. About several things. And he dealt with them. Now this wasn't written in chapter and verse originally. Men added these markers. But it's just a letter. But you'll see at different junctures. He takes up the question. That they asked him about. And by the spirit of God answers it. And this is one of them. About food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Now the reason that's in quotes. Is because the indication. Is that's what they were saying. We have knowledge. And that that gives you understanding. The next phrase he said. Knowledge puffs up. While love builds up. And the title of our series is. Love over knowledge. Said out loud, knowledge Knowledge puffs up. up. What does that mean? Now that's true with any knowledge. You'll see a tendency of people who have gained more than average knowledge on a thing. They, They get to thinking they're an authority. They get to thinking that they're superior to other people about this. It's just a tendency. And of course, this is, this is true with knowledge about God. Now, our group, Word of Faith, uh-huh. I'm one of them. Uh-huh. We're big on revelation knowledge. And we should be. Don't get concerned. We're not changing. But we should be even bigger on love. Because if I have all knowledge and have and all mysteries and prophesy like a house of fire and am not really doing it by the love of God. I talk in tongues half the day, give everything I got, I'm nothing, have nothing, it profits me nothing. Is that true? It's true. So knowledge, as important as it is, is not the most important. 
Keep reading. This is in the NIV. Let's keep going. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Would you rather be puffed up or built up? Yeah, right answer. Verse 2. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Man, this is so, so true. Like every word in the scripture. It is so true. Why? Well, he's talking about people that have learned some things. But then they got puffed up in their thinking. And they don't realize how ignorant they still are. They don't realize they don't know half of what they think they do. You couldn't. Just by reason of how long you've been alive. We, we, if we'd have kept reading in 1 Corinthians 13, he goes on immediately to say, for we know in part. That's Paul, who's seen the head of the church multiple times, got caught up into heaven, got revelation he couldn't even express. He says, I just know part. Well, then to get to thinking you know a lot, that's why he says here, if anybody thinks they know something, they don't know anything yet as they ought to know it, as you could know it, as is available to know. My father in the faith, Kenneth Hagin Sr., who's in heaven now, every once in a while he'd just stop and say, we know so little. And it's not like he was a dummy. And he'd say, we know so little. We know so little. And he would say, the more you learn, the less you see you knew. He prayed the prayers for himself by the direction of the Spirit, the Ephesian prayers, the Colossian prayers. You know, the one in Ephesians that says, uh, uh, Lord, you know, enlighten the eyes of our understanding. We might know the hope of your calling. And, those, and, and, and after praying those for months, he started getting revelation. And at one point, he asked his wife, Miss Aretha, he said, what have I been preaching? He said, it's a wonder the deacons didn't have to tell me to get in out of the rain. What, what happened? The previous year, he didn't realize how much he didn't know. Well, see, you keep growing, it'll be like that uh, all along. You'll look back and go, oh, my, what did I say? What did I do? But you were doing it in ignorance. And if anybody thinks they know anything, they what? They don't know anything yet as they ought to know. And so if you are aware of that, there will be some humility there. There will be some honesty and some humility. If not, if you're thinking, yeah, I've pretty much arrived on that. You need to know about that? I'm your man. I'm what I don't know about that, they hadn't come out with you. <laughs> now you're laughing. But the people might not have said that, but they act like it. But what's the reality? If I've learned something, thank God. But what else don't I know? Because I didn't know that just a while back. And I didn't know that I didn't know it. So what is it now that I don't know that I don't know? Oh, nothing yet, as you ought to know. Let's keep reading. 
You'll see why he, all this fits together so wonderfully. Verse 3, whoever loves God. Do you see he, he's drawing a contrast between knowledge and love. One individual said years ago, it stuck with me. He said, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, what do they care how much you know if you don't care about them? Whoever loves God is known by God. And God, you and I, nobody on the planet in a mere hundred plus years of life down here, whatever they have, will be able to impress God with their knowledge. It's just not happening. That God is punching one of the angels going, now look at that, that's a smart one right there. Woo. I am impressed with their not, not Are you kidding? The, the most advanced knowledge of anybody on the planet for the few years they've been alive, it'd be so primitive to God. It'd be so Ned in the first reader. Kindergarten. Maybe. But if you love him, you get his attention. You're not going to impress him with how much you know, ever. But if you love him genuinely, and 1 John says, if you love God, you love his kids. You love who he loves. And parents know that, right? Would you rather somebody mistreat you or your kids? You. And if somebody does something for your kids and really helps them out when they're in need, they have made a friend for life. Is that right? In a real parent. You know who you got that from? God. That's how, that's how he is. You got it from him. Keep going. Verse 4. So then. About eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And there is no God but one. I'm going to keep reading for several verses here. Even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are, and he puts, this quotations are accurate here, gods and lords, they're not really, but they're called that. Yet for us, there's one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through him we live. There's a lot of revelation here. The Father is described that everything came out of him as a source. But everything was created by the agency of the Word, the Lord Jesus. And that's what John said, in the beginning was the Word. But there are no other gods. Now there are a lot of gods worshipped. Right now today. Actually. Thousands and thousands of them. Last time. Uh, uh, Mike and I were over. In uh, Asia. At a place. Ministering. And we went down that one street you know. And I mean every other building. Was a temple to a different god. Down that whole street. Is that right? And oh man, the statues and this and the that and the other. And you just go, wow. 
These folks, many of those folks, will pray all their life to a God who will never hear them and never answer a prayer. Now that's sad. There's only one God. Creator of heavens and earth. Everything has come from him. And if people want to argue with you, well, well, no, no, I don't believe in God. Well, who made it? Who made everything? Well, it was a big bang. Who caused it? Who made it? God made it. Keep reading. Verse 7, let's read it. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. That's all they've known their whole life. That's the way it was at Corinth. Before Paul got there and preached to them, there were no Christian churches, not one. In that whole big city. But there was. On every corner. Idol worship. A God of this. And a goddess of this. And. The temple worship. Involved. Meals. And sex. That's just how. That, this was normal. This is how everybody grew up. And so what they would do, they'd sacrifice these animals to the goddess of fertility or whatever. And then everybody would eat the food that was offered to Aphrodite or or whoever it was, Venus, whoever. And they would believe they're communing with the gods. Hundreds of thousands of people did this in the city. Millions of people for the generations had done it. So Paul shows up. Says there are no gods. Except one. That's why a lot of times there was riot in the city. Oh man. He had revival and riot. And a church has been formed. People have gotten saved. And they are believing the gospel. But now they have to pass multiple temples to go to work and come home. And what would happen is with the, the, the meat that was offered as sacrifice, whether it was a bull or a sheep or goat or whatever it was, offered to the god or goddess, gods and goddesses, part of it was given burnt to the god, part of it was eaten during the ceremony, Part of it that was left was taken to the markets and sold, like at the grocery store. And so he said, not everybody possesses this knowledge. What knowledge? That there's only one God and only one Savior. So people are still so accustomed to idols when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak... It is defiled. Oh friend. There's such revelation here. They ask him. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Is it okay to eat this idle food or not? 
Right, wrong, good, bad. He says, let me talk to you about your conscience and about love. And this comes up, not just here, it comes up in place after place after place. If you want to do a good study, get out your concordance. It's not that big of a study. And look up everywhere the word conscience is. Conscience. And you'll find it, it means co-knowing. Somebody else lives inside you. And to be, we know what conscious means. What if you're unconscious? You're unaware. Right? You don't know what's going on. If you're conscious, you're aware. You can see, hear, and know. Well, conscience has some of the same meaning. You're aware of something. But conscience means there's someone else bearing joint testimony or joint witness with you of what you know. And that someone else is the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the biggest parts of how we are to live our life. Hmm? Because conscience is the voice of our spirit and it's how the Holy Spirit within us lets us know things and leads us and guides us. Hallelujah. And instead of living by an endless list of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs, we've been given the person. Hallelujah. Of God, the Holy Spirit, who knows all these things living inside us. And if you're led by the Spirit, you won't break the Ten Commandments. People say, well, I don't need the Ten Commandments. If you're led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspired the Ten Commandments. Come on, y'all listening. He's not going to contradict himself. Ever. If you're led by the Spirit, you won't be, you know, under the law, but you won't be breaking the law either. And you don't, but you don't get locked into Let me say it like this. There is right and wrong. There is. There is good and evil. There is. But the knowledge of good and evil, what our first parents fell over, is not the same in every person. Oh, come on, are y'all with me or not? The knowledge of it. And you and I cannot see inside another person's heart. And know for sure what they see and what they don't. What they are aware of. What God has shown them and what he hasn't. I I cannot know that. You cannot know that. Only God really knows that. So what are we talking about? Well, keep reading this because he's given them the answer. See, they wanted a legalistic answer. You eat the food, 
You don't eat the food. It's simple, right? Not really. Not that simple. Well, it's either right or it's wrong. That is not a love tone. (laughs) Come on, can you see it? Already you can see it skewing here. And why does somebody act so adamant and arrogant? Because they know so much. (laughs) But what's the truth? They don't know anything yet. As they ought to know it, they don't, they don't know half of what they think they know. And one of the big things they don't know is what this other person sees. He said, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Who's he talking about? Christians. Baby Christians in the church at Corinth who got saved. They love God. In fact, you read the rest of the chapter, they're tongue talkers. They're all tongue talkers. They're just as wide-eyed and wide open as you'd ever want to see. But they are dealing with multi-generational idol indoctrination. They need mind renewal. But is it all going to happen overnight or in a week or two? And do we want to run off half the church at Corinth over this idol food issue? Do we need to? Well, you got to stand for what's right. <laughs> How much do you know of what's right? See, that, see, people are saying that like they are the ultimate authority on what's right. Where'd you get all this? Right here. It's been in here a whole time. Did you? It's been right here. Not everyone possesses this knowledge. Can you hear the tender heart of a loving father? See, this, yeah, Paul was the human instrument that the Holy Spirit used. Jesus said the Spirit won't speak of himself. So who are we hearing? We're hearing straight from the Father. Is that right? In this. And what's he saying? A lot of my babies don't see it yet. Is that right? A lot of my babies here in Corinth, they don't see it. So this this is an issue to them. And if their conscience is weak about this, it can be defiled. Verse 8. Food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we don't eat. We're no better if we do. Boy, that messed up some books right there. <laughs> Verse 9. Be careful how you, the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Keep going. If someone with a weak conscience about this sees you with all your Knowledge, (laughs) eating in the idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? This must have been 35 years ago or whatever. I was teaching at Ramah Bible Training Center, 
and we had thousands of students. And there was a meeting in town that I had gone to a few times. Some good things had happened in the, in the meeting. And it was a Friday evening, and I was going to go over there. Phyllis and I were going to go. And got off work, and I'm planning on going. Driving home, it came up to my, out of my heart, not a, not a voice, but just a thought, don't go. Don't go to that meeting. Well, that didn't make sense to me because I know there's a lot of good people, the people that, that are there, some of my friends, the ministers and everything else. And, and so you got to ascertain, is this the enemy, you know, trying to, I'm still learning how to hear from God and, and we are, we're all still learning. And um, so I, I kind of brushed it off and came home, continued to get ready and came up again. Don't go. And uh, I brushed it off and finished getting ready and we're driving to the meeting. Came up again. And don't go. So I just went. I, I went on anyway. You may say, why'd you do that? Why did you? <laughs> don't you get holier than thou with me. Like you never did that before. <laughs> so I'm there. Everything's great. And uh, some good things happened. Until near the end. And somebody got up. And they did some off the wall stuff. And it just was not right. And so we left. And... Um, the next well, Monday, back to work and everything, and something came up about it, and I wasn't going to say anything, yay or nay, and, and so some, some students were questioned about some things, and, and they said, well, you know, Brother Keith was there. Oh, wow. <laughs> so their reasoning was, must have been okay. And then late, I realized why the Lord dealt with me, don't go. Because I kept thinking about myself and how this would affect me if I went or not, but everything's not about you. Come on, can y'all see this? I had no idea exactly what would happen and then how other people would see it. And then what was happening with some of these young guys is that they thought it was bizarre but then they turn and, and there I am on the front row. Yeah. And I didn't say anything, yeah or nay, so they just assume, well, this is all copacetic. Yeah. This is. And it wasn't. Yeah. Young ones, lack of knowledge, weak conscience. Come on, can you see that? Does it matter what we do and don't do and how it affects other people? Keep, keep reading this. And that's what he's talking about here. He said... Uh, if someone sees you with all your knowledge <laughs> eating in the idol's temple, now, should a believer even be in there? In the idol's temple? Yeah, but it was all you can eat Thursdays. <laughs> Four ninety nine. <laughs> And you know, say what you will about those idle places, they got the best ribs in town. <laughs> and the thing is, 
This ain't no God. This is not a God. I know. Okay, big deal. They offered it to whoop-de-doo God. They offered it to nothing. There's no God. And so I know it's no God. So I'm going to enjoy the $4.99 special. But see, that's only about you. Only and all about you. If somebody sees you in the idol's temple, eating it up, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? And a lot of these other people would say, well, good. They need to get over it. Yeah, but they ain't over it. They're not over it. Well, they need to get free. And this hard line about, well, look, I I know what's right, and I'm not going to let that cramp my style. That's not what the New Testament teaches. And that's not what love would do or wouldn't do. You don't compromise your faith and what you know. But nor do you have to demonstrate to everybody what you know. And you don't have to make an issue out of everything. And what you don't do is try to push people to act on your revelation. Push people or demand or require that people act on your revelation. They cannot act successfully on your revelation. They cannot get results on acting on your faith and it's not real to them. Keep reading. Back up verse 10 again. If someone with a weak conscience sees you with your, all your knowledge eating in the idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Will somebody look at you and go, and then maybe they respect you, and they go, well, you know, Brother Keith was there. Sister so-and-so, I've seen her do it. And so it must be okay. And if they're emboldened to do it, the thing is though, they all their lifetime worshipped these gods. They did it sincerely. They believed it was real. Their mom and daddy did. Their grandparents did. I mean, when they went to temple and offered their sacrifices to the three-headed God and the five-armed God and the Horse God and the rhino and the alligator God. and uh, I mean, that was, if that's all you've ever known, to you that's real. And this was God f- food. This is communing with the gods, dining with the gods to eat this in the temple. Verse 11. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Can you see this gets serious? This is really serious. Verse 12. When you sin against them in this way. And wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Doing what? Standing up for your knowledge. But no care for the person. You sin against Christ. Keep reading. 
Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I'll never eat meat again. And that word's a different word for some of the other, for flesh. It could refer to this temple meat, so that I'll not cause them to fall. And without taking the time, we don't have the time, but if you read Romans 14 and read 1 Corinthians 10, it goes with this. What's he saying? He goes on to talk about if you're having a meal with somebody there and, and one of the believers at the church leans over and goes, ah, that, that, uh, that pot roast is from the Aphrodite temple over there. He said, what do you do? You go, oh, okay. And push it aside. Why? Because you respect their gods? No. Because you care about his conscience. You don't want him to violate his conscience. Now maybe in a little while he'll grow to the point or she'll grow to the point where they realize it's not a God. But today we're going to do something in love that takes care of our little ones and doesn't cause them to override their conscience, do something that's not in faith, because it goes on to say in Romans 14, whatever's not of faith is sin. Is this New Testament? Is this worth spending some time on it and looking at? You going to believe with me for the rest of this? Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.